feature presentation. Whatever it is, it appears to be a genetic aberration. No shit. This weird aberration society. Welcome back to MAS. It's Ryan. Today I'm going to be talking about snakes. Well, specifically a snake, a mamba snake. Um, You might be asking yourself, Ryan, why are you doing an episode about snakes again? Well, I feel like I owe it to my listeners. I mean, the last time I talked about a movie, and yes, it's a movie about snakes again not not snakes literally but a movie about a snake but the last time I did an episode um I did it on a calamity of snakes and that was a movie that well let's be honest it was controversial it's still it's still controversial because it involved a lot of animal cruelty so I figured why not double back but not double down and do another snake centric film but this time one where you can watch it and not feel guilty that there were snakes harmed in the making of this movie because there were no snakes harmed to my knowledge in the making of this movie and what is this movie you might ask yourself right now um this movie is called Mamba from 1988 directed by Mario Orfini There is an instrument of pure evil. Evil without conscience. Perfect killing machine. He stopped calling. He's accepted it now. I haven't heard a word for a week. (laughs) Which in the wrong hands... Give you a thrill leaving me? Yes. ...is deadly. What are you doing here? What do you want from me? An obsession so fatal. You can't imagine how much I despise you. Where the line between love and hate is shattered. Stop playing these games. You know, speaking of games, I've invented a new video game. The mind of the killer. The fear of his prey. A desertion he could not forgive. Hello? Can you hear me? The door's jammed, and I can't get out. Striking it raises itself to a height equal to one-third of its length. Its venom is deadly. A game. That's my fear, you one, isn't it? She could not survive. Taste your adrenaline, you bastard. Here we go. Fair game. You don't want me. But you want to make sure no one else does. For those who don't know um, about Mamba, which I'm assuming most of you don't, it's a very... uh, Un- underseen movie, uh, under discussed movie. Uh, I'll break it down to you by reading the letterbox synopsis 
first and then getting into a little bit more about this movie. When Gene, a maniacally deranged computer game designer, gets dumped by his beautiful artist wife, he devises a masochistic plan for revenge. Taking his spouse prisoner, Gene locks her in her windowless Los Angeles loft but leaves her with something to keep her company, a deadly mamba snake. Via electronic sensors and cameras, he watches with glee as his terrorized ex-lover fights for her life. Okay, that is a good synopsis of what the movie's about. Lays it out pretty clear. Uh, This movie, um, there's a lot of interesting things about this movie. For one, this movie has another title that it goes under. Uh, It's, 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 it's uh, it's, I think it's on Tubi under this title. And yes, this movie, you can watch it. It's on Tubi for free. So definitely, uh, if you don't want this episode completely spoiled, you can pause it right here. Then go watch it on Tubi. I recommend it. Uh, But... On Tubi, it's under the name Fair Game. Um, so that's the alternative title for this uh, this movie, uh, Mamba. Now, I prefer the title Mamba because I like one-title movies. I'm a fan of like movies with one title. Also, Fair Game is a title that's been used for other movies and I associate it with other movies. Um, so I don't... I don't think that... Uh, we should talk about this movie uh, using that title at all because Mamba's the perfect title and Mamba's the real title. So that's what we'll do. Now, um, a couple interesting things. Uh, this movie apparently um, is an Italian production. Now, the director uh, Mario Orfini doesn't have a lot of min- he doesn't have a an extensive like filmography, right? Like he only has like four films I think under his under his belt um and even those films like I think his first film is from 1978 it's an Italian movie called uh I'm not even gonna uh, I'm not even gonna attempt to pronounce this movie because you know what I don't have to it's my podcast I don't have to butcher Italian titles uh his first film was in 1978 uh, and then he has Mamba, which is 1988. Then he has another film, which again, I think it's La Anniversario, which again, I'm assuming that means the anniversary in Italian. And then he has a, another movie in 92 called Jackpot. Uh, so, or actually Jackpot came in 92. La Anniversario came in 99. So, um, that would be his last movie. Um, now, few things about Mamba that that stuck out to me were first of all the cast right the cast is very small in fact the cast is only really three people um but there are three notable people first it's there's Greg Henry which if if you guys don't know who Greg Henry is uh you've seen his you've seen him in millions of movies um I mean, he's in Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, don't don't watch Guardians of the Galaxy, but whatever. Uh, he's in Scarface. Uh, he's in. Uh, I'm trying to think of any more notable. I mean, he's in Casualties of War, which is you know the De Palma movie. Uh, he's in. Uh, you see, he's even on TV shows. I think uh, he's. You see him in everything. Um, I think he's in Slither uh, as well. Again, he's in. He's in. I pretty much. 
most of James Gun- James Gunn related movies. Um, uh, you've seen him before. Uh, you know him. He's a notable face. He's a, he's a good character actor, um, and he's the villain. He plays the the husband who's uh, trying to kill his ex. Or I mean, it's not quite clear if uh, they were married, but I would assume they were. Um, but it doesn't actually explicitly say they were married. Uh, but they're definitely ex-lovers, um, and he is definitely a jilted lover. Um, now, his his wife is played by Trudy Styler. Uh, now, Trudy Styler is, again, another one of those faces who you see in movies throughout, you know, um, not as not as noticeable because... I mean, she's been in other things, but nothing really huge. Uh, I will say this. She does have a a memorable presence on screen. Um, just very kind of lighthearted, good energy, uh, but also kind of silly. Um, uh, she's pretty good in this movie. I mean, she's pretty much her and a snake through the majority of the movie so she would have to be good in order for this to even be watchable and the third character uh the third character an actor in this movie is bill mosley now uh, bill mosley we only see him in the beginning um he's this he's the owner of the snake uh the 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 mamba of that the the movie is uh named after (laughs) uh but bill mosley everyone knows bill mosley especially fans of genre cinema i mean you know him from the devil's rejects you know uh he's what else texas chainsaw massacre 2 you know he plays chop top i mean he's in every start name a horror movie he's in it you know from the halloween remake to you know various different texas chainsaw spinoffs uh he's in so many horror movies he's a name that's well known um so the moment he pops on screen, you're like, "Oh shit, it's Bill Mosley." Uh but that's it. It's pretty much it's pretty much those three characters. Um those three actors playing these three characters and uh yeah. It's pretty This feels like a movie that uh could have been made today for the simple fact that while technologically it doesn't given the the fact that characters don't have cell phones, cameras, any of the things that would probably make an operation like the one that is pulled off in this far easier. Um, But what I mean by it could be, it it could be made today is that like post uh, the, the sort of COVID lockdown, um, then back in the year 2020 AD, um, there are a lot of movies that were made uh, like single location films with minimal cast, minimal crew. Well, obviously this is a movie from 1988, and it's I think the majority of the movie is shot in Los Angeles, and shot in uh, I think the the uh, what what desert? I, th- I was looking at this, and uh, before the episode started, uh, I believe, let's see, shot between Los Angeles. Uh, uh, Cinecetta Studios, that's in that's in Italy, uh, and the Mojave Desert. So, I mean, this isn't really a single location movie, but it is. But again, 
this movie could be made if you told if you told me this movie was made um i wouldn't believe you because it's actually competent and uh uh, it's 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 a fun movie to watch um man this is this is a tough this is a tough episode for me people like i'm really really not in the mood to podcast right now um but you gotta power through it and i feel like uh if anything i want mas to be a podcast where i'm transparent about sort of how i'm feeling um now one i wanted to put this podcast out because I always want to put podcast out. But two, I do feel like this is a movie that's worthy of being talked about and highlighted because in a world where the same 100 to 200 movies uh, get talked about uh, ad nauseum, let's, it's, it's always good to throw one in there, to throw one into the mix. That isn't, I mean, that's part of this sort of uh, MAS mantra or ethos something like that my brain doesn't work um where was i yeah so this movie right single location movie minimal cast uh it's definitely one of those movies that that feels like it could be dropped into sort of the modern time now because post-covid even though i guess technically are we post-covid what does that even mean um Welcome to the hellscape that is 2023 and beyond. Uh, stay with me, people. Stay with me. Um, I should be taking my own advice and staying with myself as I conti- continually derail my own episode. <laughs> um, but that, that 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 definitely was something that I noticed about this movie. Was like, oh yeah, this is like a you know very minimal cast movie, very single location movie. This is very uh of the moment even though it's not um and i just thought that was interesting now it's clearly not because again it has a good cast even if it's three actors but it also is shot very well which that's not a surprise when you see uh that dante spinati is the dp of this movie um and dante spinati uh is a well-known celebrated cinematographer uh i mean he's done so many movies um i actually was on a set with him once uh nice little old italian man um the movie that he shot looked good for sure i mean what was the movie good uh i'll plead the fifth and say um Nothing, because that's what pleading the fifth is. When when you plead the fifth, you don't say shit. So I won't say whether the movie was good or not. But I will say that Dante Spinotti made it look good. And he does make it look good uh, pretty much in any film that he's on. I don't think I can think of a a bad-looking Dante Spinotti-lensed movie. Uh, He's known for movies like Heat. Which obviously, you know, um, and I think he's worked with Michael Mann um, on several different movies. But yeah, Heat is one of one of the uh, bigger Dante Spinati lens movies. And Dante Spinati shoots the hell out of this uh, single location movie. Now, again, a lot of this was filmed on sets. This house is clearly a stage at certain points. I don't know how much of it was an actual real location. It's probably a mixture of both. Uh, but this nice big house 
that's supposed to be out in Los Angeles um, somewhere um, that the woman, our main character, is stuck in. Uh, the use of steady cam is is clear. It's very it's very cool the way uh, the space is utilized, the way the camera moves, but also things like the POV of the snake. There's a, there's moments in this movie where the camera takes on the PO, the POV of the snake slithering through the home, um, and it's just re- it's done very well. Uh, in lesser hands, we've seen we've seen movies that attempt these kinds of things, and we've seen these kind of movies done um, in lesser hands. I mean, like as I've already said, uh, these single location movies have become very you know, single location, minimal cast movies have become very commonplace now, um, just due to circumstances of, you know, obviously, uh, living in a post COVID world, but also just the fact that, Hey, it's cheap, it's easy. Um, and people can, you know, pretty much shoot a movie now for cheap in 4k if they want to. Um, and let's be honest, like less locations, less cast, more controllable. Uh, so, there are a lot of movies that fall under this uh, designation that we've all seen. Um, and we know that how bad these movies can be. Um, and I will say this. This is not bad. This is an actually very well-made, uh, entertaining thriller. Um, also, on the thriller note, these kinds of thrillers are very commonplace. Regardless of the size of the budget, regardless of the size of the cast and locations, bigger movies with multiple locations and in in, in, in big cast uh, that are thrillers like in the mold of Mamba, um, we see a lot too. Uh, and what I mean by that is the way this movie is constructed, the type of thriller that it is, it's like it's very plot driven, right? Like the plot is everything. Once the plot gets set into motion, uh, then it's pretty much us watching um if it works effectively uh watching on the edge of our seats uh as the plot unfolds and we watch this whole thing come to its ultimate conclusion right um where everything is set up like a i know i know i hate to use the cliche roller coaster metaphor but it, i mean it works so fuck it we're using it it's definitely like a set up like a roller coaster ride um and there are things that they the movie does you know and it's written and constructed in a way where it's you know you're getting things set up and then things paid off and then things you know you have the you know how many times am i going to say you know i don't even know uh, <laughs> you have things being paid off that are set up early you have little subtle hints of of not only um moments that will uh, ultimately happen later in the movie but moments that sort of indicate aspects about the character that will be revealed later as well um yeah what am I talking about? I don't know. I talk about movies a lot, and yet I still feel like I don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I need to do? I need to take a sip of water. Ah, that was refreshing. Um, yeah, but 
Mamba is definitely that. It's not. It's not a. Uh, it's not a movie that's trying to be anything other than what it sets out to be. Which again, I've I've said this before uh, in in many episodes that that is ab that is an admirable how do you say uh, admirable that is an admirable quality uh, for a film to have when it sets out to just be what it sets out to be and nothing more and most times when movies do that they end up achieving their goal but also they end up actually being more um and mamba is no exception um there are things about mamba like subtle things like this, even the even the idea even the is would would it be classified as freudian i think it would be the freudian concept of a ex trying to kill his lover with a snake i don't have to spell this out for you here you know like come on we we know the the sort of implications of wanting to kill her with a snake i mean that's freudian right i don't know i don't really know much about freud to be 100 percent transparent um but that seems i mean i know about as much as the casual person would know about freud um i know he was a weird guy um i know he was into a lot of weird shit uh i know um yeah i don't know i don't know uh other than the fact that on a sort of metaphorical level, uh, this movie goes into some interesting terrain, um, even though there is literally no terrain to speak because it's a woman trapped in the house. It's metaphorical terrain. Um, I really like I really like when 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 movies that are very simple um, on the surface. Uh, have things that about them that are just kind of built into them that are a little bit more uh, or have a little bit more depth, uh, whether intentional or not. Um, I can't help to, I can't help but think that was intentional, um, especially the dynamic uh, between the two actors when they are interacting on screen together. So yeah, um, I'll go ahead and, and do a little bit of a beat by beat. Um, I always say I don't like to do beat by beats, but listeners of this podcast know that I say that and then I do it. Um, so I probably should put a, 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 a moratorium on me saying that. But I feel like that's impossible because I'm always saying that I'm not going to say this anymore because I say it too much. And yet I do an episode and I say the, th- the things that I say I wouldn't say. Um, because you know why? Because I talk into a mic and I understand that um, people are listening. And that in and of itself, the idea that someone is going to perceive something that you're making um, or listen to or watch or whatever just affects sort of how you go about doing it so I don't even know like I I don't even know what I mean like 
this is going to be a long episode. No, it's not. I promise it's going to be a short episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so anyways, um, the movie starts. We see uh, our main character. Our, he's not He's not our main character. He's our main villain. Um, we see him uh, at a... What can I can only describe as a snake handler's uh, place. I mean, it's where Bill Mosley, the guy who buys, or the guy who he buys, uh, Gene, or, or played by Greg Henry, uh, we meet Gene buying this mamba from Frank, played by Bill Mosley. Now, Frank has a whole bunch of snakes at his place, but Gene wants a mamba. And there's this interesting moment where he he shows Frank shows Gene uh, the mamba, and the mamba is in a a tank, like a fish tank or a snake uh, a snake tank. I used to have snakes when I was a kid. Um, you think I would know what the hell to call a, a snake tank? Is that the right word? I mean, it's the same thing that you put a fish in, but there's no water in it. Again. My brain is not functioning. But, yeah, so Frank shows Gene the mamba. He puts a rabbit in the, in the mamba's tank. <laughs> and the, uh, the mamba bites, bites the rabbit, and we watch the rabbit pretty much die within seconds of the mamba biting it. Um, so then Frank uh, asked... Greg, or well, Greg, aka Gene, Greg Henry. Um, he asked Gene for the for five thousand dollars. That's what they agreed to for the Mamba. And Frank says, "Yeah, he he, he basically says he's, he'll give it to him, right?" So Frank grabs this. Uh, or Gene tells Frank that, but Frank grabs a a cylinder case, and then he wrangles very carefully uh, the the Mamba out of it out of its tank into this tube this this rectangular tube case and then as he seals it up he says it's going to be 10k now because i don't know what you're going to do with this snake but whatever it is it ain't good uh, more or less or you get the sense that he doesn't actually say that but he kind of does and then of course gene says okay cool well you know the money's in in the car outside let's go so they walk out to the car they get in the car frank gives him 10k or no, actually, it doesn't even go like, like that. Uh, they, they walk out to, to Frank's truck. It's a truck. Frank gives him the 10K. Or, wow, wow, I cannot keep my characters in order. Frank doesn't give him the 10K because Frank is Bill Mosley. Gene gives Frank the 10K. Now, Bill Mosley, Frank, counts the money. Right, he's counting. He's counting the racks up. It's definitely ten k. And as he's doing it, Gene says, "Hey, man, why don't you let me buy you a drink at the very least, since you got all this money? Or why don't you buy me a drink? I think that's what he says. Yeah, why don't you go to me with the bar and like buy me a drink, since you got all this money? Come on, man. Come on. And and I, and I, I don't know why Frank agrees to go with Gene because clearly Frank isn't really feeling Gene. And honestly, I mean. Why would you? This guy's kind of a dick. Uh, but for whatever reason, maybe Frank's happy because he's got 10K in his pocket. He says, all right, fuck it. So they both hop in the truck. 
So as Franks gets in the truck, uh, and they sh- the door shut, Gene actually doesn't get in, or he maybe, if I remember this correctly, maybe he gets in and then gets out. But he gets out of the, he gets out, walks around to the back, um, and opens. And then again, I might be getting this out of order, but stay with me. Um, at a certain point before Frank is in the truck, Gene has already went around to the back of the truck, if I remember correctly, right? Yes, this is before Frank gets in the truck. Gene has taken the the snake, which is in the, the cylinder case, right? Um, he's taken the snake, opened the back of the truck, and put the cylinder in. And as he's talking to Frank, who's mostly focused on counting the money, Gene opens the case and lets the snake out inside his truck and then shuts it. So when they go, when he, when, when Gene offers or when Gene uh, suggests that Frank buy him a drink and they go to a bar and Frank agrees, Frank gets in the car. Gene never gets in. Yes, that's it. Gene never gets in the car. Because Gene's not about to get in the car with the fucking Mamba. So Frank's inside. He's still looking. He's still smiling, looking at the money. He's 10 grand richer, right? And then it's, and then, and then he notices that Gene is not in the car or not in the truck. And then he looks up and he sees Gene standing, staring at him at the truck. And he makes eye contact with him and he freezes. And then there's like a moment of realization that dawns on him. And... That's when he, that's when Gene, who's holding this remote of some kind in his hand, clicks the remote, which locks the doors to the truck so that Gene, or not Gene, Frank, <laughs> so that Frank is now trapped. And the moment that Frank realizes that he's trapped in the truck, the light bulb comes on and he's like, oh shit, the snake. And then you see him struggling and freaking out. Because he's stuck in the truck with the snake, this mamba, this deadly mamba. And of course, we watch him uh, eventually get bit and die. Um, And as he's doing it, Frank just watches until he's satisfied that, okay, he's out of here. Then he walks up to the truck. And this is what I like about this movie. Because this movie's in lesser versions of these kind of thrillers and these kind of movies... uh, this part probably wouldn't even happen. They wouldn't even explain how Frank... Uh, well, they would explain how Frank died because we just saw it. They wouldn't even explain how Gene gets the snake uh, out of the truck now. Um, they would have just cut right at that point, right? They would have just cut from that scene. Like, he's dead, moving on to the next scene. But they don't do that in Mamba. Um, Gene walks back up to the truck Uh he lowers the window partially with the same remote because he's got the locks and the windows on this remote that he can control. Um, and then he takes a canister that has a hose on the end of it, like a looks like a mini black uh, fire extinguisher, but it's not. Um, and he sticks the, t- the, the tube of the hose through the crack window and he... St- emits a gas into the truck. Now this now I'm going to I could be wrong here um but I'm going to th- 
this is my understanding of what's occurring. And this is my understanding in terms of the movie's plot, how this, this gas that he's using works. One, the gas effectively knocks the snake out, right? It puts, so D, at once he's sprayed the gas in the truck, rolled the window back up and waits, right? He waits for several seconds until he's satisfied that the snake isn't moving anymore. The snake's passed out. Then he opens, opens the truck up. The snake is wrapped around, I think, the steering wheel, and, but it's passed out. And he's able to pick the snake up with his hands, put it right back into the little cylinder case. But for the purposes of the storyline and the plot, the gas, from my understanding, is some sort of toxin. And once the toxin has been introduced to the snake and the snake has breathed in the toxin, the toxin in and of itself is a poison. Um, and it gives the snake a certain amount of time to live once it wakes back up. Um, not, now that it's breathed in this toxin. Again, I'm not quite certain how this if this if that's a real toxin but this is what i get from sort of the movie i mean i could be 100 percent wrong about this um i could be misinterpreting this but for me following this movie and following this plot um and we'll get into why i i say that uh as i as i go through the movie some more um so yeah so he gets the snake back boom now we get to see um Ava, right? Now, Ava, who's played by Trudy Styler, is a very happy-go-lucky, kind of wafy, blonde woman. Um, very kind of like European-looking blonde woman. Short-cut hair. Uh, all smiles. We see her. She's uh, coming into her, her, her nice, massive artist loft home. It's giant. It's gigantic. And we pretty much watch her um, she's coming home with groceries. She puts the groceries in the refrigerator. She's dancing around her house. She's an artist of some kind, which again, it says this in the, uh, it says this beautiful artist wife, uh, in, in the letterbox synopsis, right? Um, which is funny because when I say, you know, I artists, you know, I, I'm putting scare quotes up, you know, when I say artist, because apparently she's making like these goofy clay octopuses, and they're really bad. She's not really a good artist, but you know, um, that's what's funny. I mean, she's like a really bad artist, uh, but but uh, but that doesn't stop us from um, falling for her charms in terms of like she being a character that you can kind of be invested in. You want to, you don't want to see her like get killed. By, at least I didn't. I didn't want to see her get killed by the snake. Um, so we are introduced to her. She's at the crib. Um, there's a little bit of exposition in, in the fact that like she's on the phone. It's a one-sided phone call where we hear her talking to her, one of her girlfriends. And she mentions not in, I think she mentions Jean. I don't know if she mentioned Jean in name, but we get the sense or through context clues. We understand clearly that she's talking about Jean cause she's talking about her ex uh, that she just broke up with. And she mentions he hasn't stopped at first. It was getting kind of scary he was call he was showing up and calling all the time asking me all these questions but it's been a week since i've heard from him so maybe 
maybe things will be better now, you know, or whatever. Um, and this is what I mean by like, it's not quite clear whether they were married or they were just like boyfriend and girlfriend, um, because she has this big, massive house and he's this successful like game developer and he has money. Um, but when they actually do interact, uh, Gene mentions like, you like this nice house, you use me for my money. Um, so you're kind of like not quite certain if this was like what she got from like the split in terms of like alimony or, you know, or, or maybe he just, they lived together because I know they did live together on her, on the, she, she says, uh, that they lived on the 27th floor in his house and whatever. Um, so they did live together and maybe she lived together and she became a successful artist and then used the money to buy the place. It's not quite clear. I mean, it's not that important, uh, but it's not quite clear about that aspect. But we're getting this information about like, oh, about her and the splitting, the the split, the breakup, the breakup that uh, that Eva has had with with Jean. Right. And I also now that I think about it, the name Eva and the snake, Eve, Eva, snakes, the Garden of Eve, the snake, the serpent. I mean, I think some of this was intentional. I mean, because even even uh, when she walks into the house and she's carrying groceries, she spills a bunch of apples and like the apples are on the floor and we watch her pick the apples up and put them on top of the fridge. I want to think that all of this symbolism, uh, these are definitely direct sort of like uh, Garden of Eden references. This movie is definitely, again, like this movie is, this is what I mean by like stupid genre movies. And I, and again, I say stupid lovingly because when I say stupid, it's, yeah, that, that's me being reductive, but I mean, but I'm not necessarily, I'm, I mean, in the general consensus about movies like this are that they're stupid genre movies or stupid genre fare. I don't mean they're stupid. I mean, I felt it was stupid. Um, it wouldn't be the first time I did a movie, uh, an episode about a movie that was stupid. <laughs> so, uh, no, but I, I don't think this movie's stupid. I think this movie's fun. I think this movie is um, a well-crafted genre movie um, that should have a cult following, but doesn't. Um, but yeah, uh, back to what I was saying about the, the Garden of Eden and the sort of... Uh, biblical sort of motif if you want to call it that uh biblical are the biblical references that aren't like overt or maybe they maybe they are overt uh but they 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 just they don't like they i guess you could say maybe they're 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 done in a way where if if you were to say to me Ryan, you're looking too much into it. Um, the fact that you could even say that, right, is like, oh, you're looking too much into it, is proof that they're done in a way that's kind of subtle, but overt at the same time. I know that's a contradiction. Um, but I got to say, I, I, this, guy, this shit has to be on purpose. Like, there's just too many things about it that are like, uh, you know, again, a snake, the, the main character's name is uh, Eva, like Eve, you know, um, you know, they didn't name Gene, they didn't go too far and name like uh, Gene, Adam, or something like, or Aiden, like Aiden and Eva, like Adam and Eve, they didn't do that kind of corny shit at the very least, uh, but, but, 
But again, I have to think that like some of this is uh, conscious and shit. Might, some of it might have been subconscious because these are stories that, you know, even though this is uh, shit. I mean, what am I saying? Like, this is an Italian movie. The fucking Vatican is in Rome. You know what I mean? Like, these, this, of course, the, that like there's some kind of even if that wasn't conscious by the, the, by the filmmaker and by the by the writer, the screenwriter. Um, that stuff would be subconsciously baked into sort of the psyche of that, you know, of the of these uh, Italian uh, f- filmmakers and artists. Um, that being said, I'm not quite certain that the uh, the the writers. I mean, the one of the writers was the director Mario Orfini, and then the second writer was Lydia Rivera, Re- Rivera, like with an R A, which I'm. I'm assuming she's Italian as well. Yeah, she's definitely uh, an Italian. So yeah, it's still written by two Italian people. Um, and as if even if it was written by American people, like we, America is very uh, Christian pilled. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean. Uh, it's so so yeah, like consciously or not, uh, th- these elements exist in this movie, um, but yeah, so we're introduced to her, she, she has a conversation with her friend on the phone about her recent breakup, and how she hasn't spoken to him in a week, and then we get to see her just kind of roam around the house, doing her little artwork, you know, um, and yes, when I say her little artwork, I, was I being reductive there, yeah, she's not really a good artist, but again, we still kind of like, it's okay. We just feel like kind of, I, I felt kind of glad for her because I was like, oh, she's finally free of this sort of relationship and she's just enjoying herself now and she's just a truly, you know, not de- not de- not delving into sort of some other sort of uh, immediate toxic kind of uh, relationship with another person, you know, like in, in a sort of... Uh, well, in a sort of codependent way, no, that she's independent. Like uh, she's she's fresh off a breakup. She's living her best life. She's walking around the crib, um, and we get to see her walking around. <clears throat> well, she's in her underwear a lot again. Um, but and, and she is shot a certain way. That is through definitely through sort of a male gazey kind of way for sure. They show her doing yoga, stretching, all of that. But I will say this. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it's just me. Um, but the way that this the the way that this actress sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, the way that she's built, like it's not like she's this super uh, curvaceous kind of like uh, Marilyn Monroe, Selma Hayek style. Uh, beauty. Um, no, Trudy Styler is more of this sort of like long-limbed sort of, I don't know, like she's like a wayfish kind of, uh, kind of built woman. Not to say that that like, um, that's a negative because it's not a negative, but I just say when you shoot a woman, at least for me, when a woman is shot, sort of it with through sort of a male gaze right um and she's 
of a certain kind of body type, a certain kind of build, it sort of alters that. At least it does for me. Like when it, depending upon because like there are ways that you could shoot uh, women like who have certain uh, features, right? Like oh, she's has like for example, like we know busty women are women who have uh, you know coke what coke bottle figures like we know how like filmmakers and artists and photographers and whatnot shoot and film them in ways and angles that are kind of very like borderline like kind of like it's definitely fetishizing and sexualizing them um but it's like almost like if you put a certain lens on this per on this woman like it's almost it's almost like yo this is low-key kind of like pervy I just don't get it. I just don't get the sense that like I feel like there's there might be attempts to and and, and again like this is just me. Um, I could be completely. This is completely subjective, right? But for me, like I didn't get weirded out by that. First of all, I don't get weirded out by sexuality at all. Like it's a normal, natural part of you know human life. Um, but what I mean by that is like there are sometimes when you you'll watch certain movies and you'll be like oh this is kind of like this is kind of like uh sleazy and i don't and i don't th think that like the way they shoot her and even the moments where they show her like in the, in the tub walking around the house and she gets in the tub it never teeters to the point of being sleazy you know what i'm saying at least it didn't for me it like it manages to sort of go right up to the line but never over the line like and even in a certain in a certain ways, I feel like they were kind of like uh, actually. Um, I would go as far to say they they should they exercise restraint um, because in different hands it would be a lot more sleazy. You know what I mean? The way they shoot to shoot the actress, and and they don't really like uh, they don't really do that. You know, um, and I do feel like part of that is how they the actress they selected. Because I feel like there are certain actresses where um, seeing them walking, seeing certain actresses walk in their underwear just inherently, doesn't matter how you shoot it, is going to have that kind of voyeur. It's going to be very hard. It's going to almost be just by them being on screen depicted that way, where it's like, oh, this is kind of voyeurish and kind of like sleazy kind of, you know... Um, Again, I feel like the human body is beautiful, and I feel like a different body types are beautiful. Um, I'm just saying that I wonder if casting this actress specifically, and again, I know the beauty standards and norms of the 80s are different than now, because now, you know, obviously we live in the era of the BBL and all of that, all of that type of deal. Um, yeah, but like, I don't think... I don't know. Maybe when this came out in the '80s, this was like for some people, like ooh. Because I'm not. I'm again. I'm not saying that like this. Like I'm not saying that uh, Trudy Styler uh, isn't an attractive woman because she is in her own way. Um, she has a unique look, um, and ultimately, I feel like whatever. Like I feel like if you fall for for her character, like the way you know the way an, a viewer would watching a movie constructed like this where you like the, the the filmmakers are trying to get you to like fall for the for the actor whether that's the actor or the actress I, mean, I guess actor is a now a 
universal term. It's non-gender term, right? So actor, be it a male actor, be it a female actor, be it a trans actor, be it whoever. If you're to fall for the actor, um, I feel like filmmakers definitely, that's definitely one of the manipulation uh, tactics that filmmakers employ for sure. It's definitely because um, that gets when you fall for someone, um, sort of their charms, their charisma, uh, you buy into the character. That is a level of getting the audience to buy into the movie and be invested in the stakes of the movie. Um, that's a whole thing that 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 is a, a specific goal that that they that filmmakers set out to do in movies, right? Um, but I'm I'm just saying like she has a specific look. It's not like a um it's not like the, it's not like oh she's this bombshell uh but her her performance combined with sort of the way they shoot her has a cumulative sort of uh effect of get, of uh, of making her likable in like a way that's like oh like I felt like she was like Again, this is a lot of this is on the on the actress on the actress performance, right? Where where I felt like uh, she did a great job of just being like happy go lucky and just being silly. Like we're watching her be silly, and it becomes it becomes endearing, and that's what makes her sort of uh, that's that's what makes that's what makes Ava a, a, a character that like as the audience we fall for her. Like, you know what I mean? Um, and I don't mean fall for her like, oh, like, I have a crush. No, none of that. I just mean, like, fall for her in terms of, like, we... Um, I mean, shit, some 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 people will, will probably literally do that watching this movie. I mean, you know, I can't... Who am I to tell you who you can fall for or not? What I'm saying is when, when I, 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 as a viewer, fell for her in terms of, like, oh, now she, I'm on her side. Like, I feel like she's a character that's likable enough that like I'm invested enough in what happens to her, which is important in a thriller. I always say you don't have to have likable characters. They just have to be uh, compelling. But in a thriller where it's all about the stakes and, and it's and the thrillers that are constructed this way, where it's constructed again, a roller coaster of ups and downs and oh shit, and wanting the audience to be on the edge of the seat, it's important that the audience actually uh, does kind of like the character, the main character or the protagonist, because the whole point is to get people to be concerned whether she gets out of this alive or not, which in turn will heighten the tension uh, in the tense moments that happen and occur in the movie. Um, again, that's not a one-size-fits-all approach. There are plenty of movies where that I love that are great movies where I hate every character on the screen. Um, so I definitely want to say that because uh, I don't want to, you know, push that narrative because I feel like it's pushed way too much. Let me take another drink here. Making, am, am I doing good? Making a good time? Wow. I'm almost an hour in. I can talk, bro. Jesus. All right. Uh, so moving right along again. Um, watch this movie on Tubi because I'm going through it and I'm spoiling the whole the whole thing. So we're introduced to her. We see her. She's walk, she's running around the house or whatever. Um, 
And at a certain moment, she's surprised because Gene is there. Like, it's even the way he shows up is like uh, to her. She's completely caught off guard. He shows, she shows up at the house. She's like, what are you doing here? And there's this whole great exchange, this whole interaction between them um, where he's sort of like, at first, he's angry and he's like telling her, you know, like, like you're happy now, huh? You're finally free, huh? Like you, this is, you use me. Like this is what you wanted, huh? You got this big place now, right? You love it. You know, he's like, a, again, a very, a jilted, bitter lover, a very possessive man. You know what I'm saying? Super toxic. Like the toxic vibes, he's like, Gene is toxic with a capital T, right? Um, and you just, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. You, she, you just immediately know, like she, like getting out of this relationship was like the best thing for her. I mean, but what she, the price she had to pay, obviously, is is this movie. Like the whole plot of this movie is the price she had to pay uh, almost, for, you know, not only for getting out, but for getting in, like, because you got into a relationship with this, this fucking insane person, um, so yeah, um, there's a series of moments happen, there's back and forth, I won't get, I won't get too much into that, because again, I do want to keep this a nice, concise episode, and we are pushing an hour, uh, but at a certain point, um, Gene leans into her, he, first, he asked for a key back that he, uh, that he has because she she no longer wears it around her neck or something, um, some sentimental thing, right? Um, but then he tries to like seduce her. He like leans in, gives her a kiss. Uh, at at a certain point, while he's kissing on her, trying to like act as if he wants to, you know, like one last time, kind of. You gotta get the sense like either he's trying to like seduce her for one last time or he's trying to seduce her to get her to uh come back to him which we know that's not the case we know that's not what he's doing but he's kissing her and he leans in and he puts what we see is a small like tracking microchip on the back of her necklace that she's wearing around her neck um she doesn't she's not aware of it she just thinks that he's trying to seduce her right and i think that's when uh she goes to find his key that she's no longer wearing on that necklace. Um, and as she's going to find it, he leaves. And like, But as he's leaving, he puts the uh, cylinder that he with the snake in it that he carried. He puts it by a plant, opens it, lets the snake out. And then the, she hears the door slam while she's looking for the key. She finds the key and she turns around like, where'd he go? And, and, and this makes her upset even more so because she went through all this emotional shit with him, you know, with him saying all these things to her, then kissing on her, again, this emotional manipulation, that he's a true manipulator, right, um, so this puts her in a, an obvious mood, um, but what she doesn't know is he's also, like, locked her in there, too, you know, so on, on as Gene makes his way out, uh, outside, he puts a key into the door, breaks the key off, uh, and basically traps her, essentially, inside this house, um, and then he goes and sits in his car, and inside his car, he opens up a, a case of some kind. And inside this case, it has a, an old-school 80s-era like digital readout that shows the location of the snake. Uh, because I guess he put a tracker inside the snake. I'm assuming like maybe he had the snake swallow it. Um, that's not quite explained, but 
Um, you can see the snake, and it looks like a little snake and some Atari-style graphics on the screen. And then the tracker of her is an apple. Again, I was right. I didn't even, I just, you know, the snake and the apple, the Garden of Eden, Eva, the, all of this is intentional. That's the moment right there uh, in real time because I didn't think about that, um, that it is an apple. Yeah, it's an apple. So, yeah, all that Garden of Eden symbolism shit, it's real. They def It's built into the movie. Shout out to the filmmaker. Uh, you're the GOAT for that. <laughs> I don't know if you're the GOAT, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Props, either way. Kudos. Uh, so this sets the stage. Uh, he's watching. And also, there's a countdown, too. And this is what I, when I was saying before about when he knocks the snake out with the gas. This is like a toxin. Because we hear this little like uh, proto Siri style computer voice saying like this, the snake's toxin, the toxin will kill the snake within an hour. And there's a, there's a ticking clock that he's watching the whole time because he's just sitting out in his car watching the snake in the, in, in the apple move around on the screen, you know, and he's, and another thing that Gene has done is he's went up to her, uh, I think he, he goes up to the box where the phone, the connections to the phone inside the house, he jerry-rigs it to where no calls can go outward because every time she picks the phone up, all she, all she hears is <clears throat> the busy sort of tone, but he's able to call in. So he's like sitting in, the, in, the, in the, his truck watching on, on the little device this little case that that he could monitor sort of the snake and 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 eva moving around the house and he's calling on he's calling her on the phone and but then when anytime she answers he says nothing <clears throat> until finally he just hangs up oh my gosh i need more water something just went in my throat yo yo, yo pause um yeah i'm not I'm not mature enough to not play the pause game. So, uh, <clears throat> so yeah, that sets up this whole this whole scene, and and it takes Ava a while to realize that there's a snake because after she's sort of traumatized by Jean's visit, she records a video, and she's it's like a hi-fi video, um, and and she's making like a video confession that I guess she's plans to give to Jean, and she's having this like heart-to-heart -heart moment about like Jean and she also has, at this point she's ran herself a bath right before she started to record this video she had run herself a bubble bath so she's recording this heartfelt message to Jean and she's spilling her she's 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 spilling her heart to him like and what I mean by that is like like letting her letting her know or letting him know how she feels about how 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 this was like long overdue and how she needed to leave him and how all the things that he did to her and how he was a, he's such a little man. Like, you know what I mean? Like he, he, he carries himself as this big bad guy, but us all, you know, she, again, she, she reads, she reads him his, you know, she just reads him. Right. Is that, how, is that what they say? When you, when you read a person, like man, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, so, but as she, she, before she gets to finish this heartfelt conf this heartfelt like confessional recording that she's making for for her ex she remembers the bathtub she's like oh shit the tub and she gets up and as she's getting up she doesn't even see that the snake 
is striking, but he misses her. So she, she goes and she turns the bathwater off. You know, the tub is overflowing with bubbles and shit. And then she goes back to uh, the tape to see where she's at. She's rewinding it and watching it. And that's when she sees the snake in the video almost almost biting her. And, of course, immediately she flips out, right? And she's like, oh, shit, there's a snake inside the house. And, of course, she does what everyone else does. is She's, like, looking around, fucking being scared. Um, at a certain point, she tries the door, finds out she's locked. The, uh, now, now the whole plot sets into motion. And of course, I could talk to you about like all of the things that happen in terms of like the the uh, cat and mouse. It's not even a cat and mouse. Snake and human. <laughs> um, snake and apple. No. Um, back and forth. But it it's it's very it's very effective in the way that it uh. Because there are moments where you're like, okay, well, unless again, unless her hands, these the, there could be a lot of not a lot of tension um, because it is a snake and this is a big ass house and you just got to stay away from the snake. But the the tricks that they use to sort of keep the tension um, high are very you know uh, very clever and they manage to do that and they make it believable because. The thing about it is if you stop for like five seconds, really thought about it, you'd be like, well, why don't she just do this? And why don't she just do that? Um, but they're kind of aware of that. So the way that they execute it is in a way that keeps you sort of on the edge of your seat and not really thinking about that as the during the duration of the actual movie. Um, but ultimately, um, we see her sort of do all sorts of different things to sort of stay alive, right? Like she even at a certain point, she... She covers herself. She puts on boots. She she covers herself in multiple layers of clothing. Um, and there's a cool there's a cool scene which I will which I will point out where where she goes to put the boots on, but we see the snake go inside one of the boots. And as she puts her feet in the boots, we don't see her putting her feet in the boots. And the, as an audience, we're like, oh shit! Like she put her foot in one of the boots. But then it cuts and we see, oh, there were two pairs of boots and she put her feet in the boots right next to the, the one where the snake was in. This is what I'm talking about by like the clever, the cleverness of the filmmakers and the way they like build the tension and use this sort of kind of absurd uh, geography of this place with this one little snake and this one woman. Uh, and, and just despite the fact that it's a huge place and despite the, the challenges that that would be to make this a thrilling thriller uh they they are very smart about how they do that um but yeah ultimately um she has no idea that, the, that there's a ticking clock on the snake and as the time is running down one of the things that she does is she takes the necklace off um at a certain moment and so now gene can no longer see the apple tracker for her on his screen he can only see the snake so he, at a certain point when that happens, he calls, she answers, then he hangs up again. Um, and at a certain point, um, as this whole this whole scene, or not even scene, series of scenes of, of Ava sort of doing battle with this snake um, and running from this snake... Um, she sees the case and she sees the snake uh, uh like looking like it's like 
again, the toxin that's inside the snake is killing it, right, at this point. Um, but the snake is, like, kind of slithering slower, and she sees this open case, uh, that the cylinder case that he, that he came from, and we know that she's putting in, in her mind, like, oh, this whole thing was Gene. Like, he doesn't say it, but that the look that she gives in the moment that they show, again, the filmmakers communicate that to you. Um, and then Gene's waiting in the car at this point, and so he calls on the phone one more time, right? Because all he can see is a snake again. He can't see her on on the screen because she took the, the necklace tracker off, uh, which she didn't know about. She just did it. He calls again. No one's answering. There's only like a minute left or a couple minutes left before the snake is actually dead. So Gene gets out of the car, walks up to the door with some pliers, takes the key out, and goes inside. And then he sees Ava laying on the floor uh, and the snake laying um, next to her and the cylinder case, right? Um, and he, get, he walks up to her and then that's when he starts talking to her and reveals his whole kind of like, you know, the way evil villains do. Let me tell you why I did the things that I do, Scooby-Doo style type shit. Um, and he explains to her, like, you know, I love you. You're the one person I love. And, like, I couldn't stand to let anyone else have you. Again, possessive, viewing her as a possession to have, right? Um, and and another thing is he, he carries a golf club in, in he that he's been kind of, like, sharpening the edge of. I don't know if it's, like, a four, five iron or a four. I don't know. I don't play fucking golf. Uh, so when he walks into the house and he sees the snake... He strikes the snake with the golf club and it cuts the snake in half, right? Now you could ask where this, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna do that yet. Let me not do that. Um, so after he says this to her, right? He goes to get the snake that he cut in half. Takes the cylinder and opens the cylinder up. And again, we've seen movies before. We know, we probably, you probably guess what's gonna happen. Uh, the actual, when he opens the cylinder up, he doesn't know it unknown to him the mamba's snake is in there and the minute isn't up yet the like whatever how many time limit isn't up yet so the snake flies out of the strikes out of the cylinder and bites bites uh gene on the neck and immediately gene's like oh fuck you know he struggles with the snake gets it off of him throws it down it's too late he's dead and at that point that's when eva gets off the floor she's been pretending the whole time that snake that he killed was a fake snake it wasn't real um and yeah, um, he's he's in shock. Um, Ava has her you know, her moment, you know, to be the hero and sort of like, you know, gloat. But she doesn't really gloat again. Like she's a very even even the way she sort of uh, watches him die as as the sort of venom kills him. You kind of get the sense that like what's done is done, and like. But almost like, you know, she didn't, we know, we know Ava didn't want this to happen, like, but Gene brought this on himself, and ultimately, this was, you know, it was either, she put, he, she put him, or he put her in a situation where it was, you know, um, this was the only way this was going to end, because he's a psychopath, like, he was going to kill her regardless, he wasn't, you know, he's just not somebody that's going to conspire to kill his ex with a fucking, with a fucking mamba snake, you know what I mean, like, so... She watches him die, then she walks out of her house, 
and we kind of just see her standing outside, kind of like looking around, and the movie ends, um, like that. And it's and then again, it's not it's not a lot to it, uh, but it's a it's a it's a genre movie that's only like 120 minutes or. No, not not 120 minutes. That's the longest. That's two hours. No, it's not. Is that two hours? Again, math's not my strong suit. Um, it's only an hour and 20 minutes. Um, but it just, it's just, it just, it's Mamba is a movie that is good at what it is. Like, uh, so, yeah, go watch Mamba. Uh, I put a link to it. It's on Tubi. I'll put a link in the show uh, in the show notes for you for you guys to go click on it. Give it a watch. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely watch it. Definitely spread spread the uh, the message about the movie because um, no one's no one's watching it. No one's talking about it. Um, and yeah, uh, I think that's it. I think uh, I managed to do this episode a little over an hour. Not bad, but yeah. As always, I don't know how to end the podcast, so. It's over. Peace. Talk yeah. to you next week. You know what I'm saying, baby? That, uh, candy paint. Ron O'Neill. Yes, nigga. Third generation pimp type shit. This shit is way over your head, bitch. You dig what I'm saying, ho? Uh, pimp hard on the hoe. Yeah, spit balls on the hoe. From the money to the junk. 20 bricks in a motherfucking trunk. Switch cars on the hoe. Honey, drugging and thugging under the scat line. Everybody in the city know it's my time. Cool thing waiting outside. You can bet it's on the forges when I rise. Gunners in my hand from the wood grain. Making hella money on the woods, man. Got a quarter kilo in the kitchen in your blood, man. Federalis only thing to have a nigga shook, man. Law for nigga, the nigga took, man. Got him knocking at my door with a warrant saying, Can we have a look, man? Hell nah, motherfucker. My choppers are popping, blow out the ball, motherfucker. They came 47.0 pointed at y'all, motherfucker. I ain't gonna be shy about it at all, my brother. Bust the heat shit, duck the preset. You trust your freak, bitch. We all gon' fuck a goddamn. Yeah, you should've known that I was on some bullshit when the nigga first came in it, bitch. Yeah, send it work about a town. I need a couple pounds of that ready cane in this bitch. Insane in a bitch. Cocaine on the edge of a razor blade. Growing money trees, I was made for sale. I got this shit about the mud getting major paid. And I'm getting head on the skyline. Everybody in the city know it's my time. Cool thing waiting outside. You can bet it's on the forges when I ride. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, bitch? Like I was saying, I was coming down candy painting on some Rodney O'Neill shit. The bitch was coming up to me like, Fred, let me uh, let me sick your duck. I mean, uh, suck your dick. You know what I'm saying? Why don't you sick this dick on me like a dog? Yeah. yeah. Been a motherfucking pimp since I came in, bitch. Yeah. And I bet you ought to hold on my name in, bitch. Yeah. Deep brains with planes in the rain with a bitch. Yeah. Been a motherfucking pimp since I came in, bitch. Yeah. Been a motherfucking, motherfucking, motherfucking pimp since I came in, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet you bought a hole on my name in, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Get brains with lanes in the rain with a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Been a motherfucking pimp since I came in, bitch. Yeah. Been a motherfucking pimp since I came in, bitch. And I bet you bought a hole on my name in, bitch. Get brains with lanes in the rain with a bitch. Been a motherfucking pimp since I came in, bitch. Been a motherfucking pimp since I came in, bitch. And I bet you bought a hold on my name in, bitch. Keep brain switch lanes in the rain with a bitch. Been a motherfucking pimp since I came in, bitch. Pimp hard, nigga.
you pimp so hard. Yeah. Why they do it like that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs>